small. You might be able to see it from the back. This is a golf ball. If the earth were a golf ball, I don't know if that means anything to anyone here. It might. But it rocked my world probably about six years ago when I heard that quote for the first time. If the earth were a golf ball. This w- comes from a talk that a uh, Christian pastor, Louis Giglio, gave. And he was mentioning it because he, he was talking about the, the greatness and the glory uh, and the majesty of the creation of the, the, the heavenly realm, the, the, the stars and, and, and the planets. And he says, if the earth were a golf ball, then there would be 960,000 golf balls that make up our sun. If the earth were a golf ball, we could fit 960 earths inside of the sun. And and, and so he used this as an example to, to, to show us how small the earth is in comparison to something as big as the sun. That's enough golf balls, he says, to fill a school bus with golf balls. That's a massive, enormous star called the sun that is actually just one of the hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, which is our small cul-de-sac in our neighborhood called the cosmos, which God has made. And when I heard that, I realized what it means to worship a star-breathing God. It is both incredible And absolutely terrifying all at the same time, isn't it? This example popped into my mind this week when I read the first verse of the psalm, Psalm 8, which says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, for you have set your glory in the heavens. And what Psalm 8 says, which is an amazing uh, psalm of praise. What it, what it praises God for is two things. For, for one, for, and I imagine David, you know, looking up at night from his palace at the greatness and the, the majesty of the stars. And then thinking about himself and about the intricacies of our earth. The, the, the incredible diversity of all the species and the animals and the fact that God has actually placed these creatures under our feet. The triune God that spoke everything into existence in the beginning has actually created human beings distinct, separate, and and given a specific role. This David is is pointing back and alluding to uh, something that happened in Genesis where God, after he created the heavens and the earth, he commissioned human beings and gave them what we call the creation mandate, which is, he says to Adam and Eve, "Be, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, the animals, the creatures that live on the earth, rule over them. That's what this psalm is about. That's what David is praising God for. And so as we begin a new sermon series this summer where we're going to each, each Sunday be looking at a different psalm, 
that we, it's kind of fitting that we begin the first one by looking at creation and our role in it and how, how and, and, it, and from the angle of it being a psalm of praise. We get to pause, as David probably did when he was writing this poem, and reflect, to look up and down and around at the beauty of creation and our role in it. And so as we do that, I want to just move us through three different points this morning. The first is our crown. The second is our contribution. And the third is his sacrifice. So first, our crown. This week I came across a sermon that was written by actually a fellow Christian Reformed Church pastor, Scott Jose, who in his sermon on Psalm 8, he mentions that, that uh, one of the things that, that people are quick to do nowadays is to try to, to knock humanity off of his, the pedestal, he says is that that some people have been quick to to try to level the playing field and to say, well, actually, human beings, they're not that much different than than the creatures that live on this planet. We're just maybe more highly evolved than they are. Or or, uh, we're just, we have been given different abilities or tendencies. But but to think of ourselves in a different realm or over top of the the creatures of this world is, is outlandish. But the point is that what people are people are trying to level the playing field, and what David is saying in this psalm, and and what the rest of the Bible is saying is that that one of the the creation mandate that that God gave Adam and Eve is is a real thing. That human beings were created to to rule over creation, and to, to to use the gifts, the abilities that God has given us to. To, to see the world flourish and grow. God made us in his image. It tells us this in the book of Genesis. And we may look at other creatures and see similarities, but we have been imprinted by the creator of the world and created distinct. Andy Crouch, who's a, an author and a speaker, mentions this distinction in, in one of the talks that he gives where he, he is actually talking about Psalm 8. And he, he brings out the language that David uses in the center of this psalm when he's talking about human beings crowned with glory and honor. And, and Andy Crouch says anyone who would read uh, this psalm at that time would know that those are kingly words. Those are royal words. And what David is, is saying in this psalm is that, that God has, has given royal authority to human beings. He's given them a crown, made them kings and queens over creation, and has given them the honor and the glory that is due to those who rule. David, being a king himself, would recognize this. The other thing that Andy Crouch mentions that I found interesting was that when somebody is a king or queen, they're given something. They're given the responsibility of something. The responsibility to use power faithfully. You know, this makes sense, doesn't we? We have power over other creatures over, uh, in, in the world. We have, we have been given gifts and abilities that allow us to create technologies that, that allow us to rule over the creatures of this world in ways that are far beyond 
anything else. We have been given a crown, glory and honor, a responsibility to to rule the, the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the trees and the forest, and have been given this power by God. This is such a glorious and and honoring position, isn't it? That the Lord of this world, the the star-breathing God, thinks so highly of us that he entrusted us to rule his creation. It's humbling as well. And I find it fitting that this type of theme finds itself into the first praise psalm in the Bible. David is praising God not just for the beauty of creation, but the the beauty of the responsibility and the honor that he has bestowed upon human beings. He's given us his image, and he has given us a crown. He's given us the responsibility. But that leads us to our second point this morning, which is our contribution as kings and queens. Because this may lead to some of us thinking, well, how on earth? I thought I'd get a laugh out of that one. How on earth do we do this? You know, I wonder if this is maybe what David was thinking when he was penning this, this poem and, and t- thinking about the, the, the responsibility that human beings have over the world. How do we actually do this faithfully? As we look around at the vastness of everything, I wonder if David thought to himself, how am I doing in this category? Am I ruling over creation faithfully? Am I I using the gifts that God has given me, the power that he's given me? Perhaps he was thinking in his mind of what happened after, you know, God gave this original creation mandate back in Genesis about how soon afterward Adam and Eve took a step toward over-consuming. Consuming more than they should have. Taking, taking fruit from a tree that God told them not to. You know, I can't help but wonder if this was actually the first over-consumption in human history. Right? When Adam and Eve thought and, and used the, the creation that God had given them for their own benefit, they took from it instead of what, what God had entrusted, using what God had entrusted to them to... to To create more flourishing. They went outside the boundaries that God laid out for them. We feel this too, don't we? You know, more and more, we are drawn into temptations that that are not too different from those Adam and Eve fell into. We're tempted to to overconsume, to mistreat what has been entrusted to us. For many of us, we look around us and it's not too hard to see that our world is falling apart. You know, climate change is a, is a buzzword in the 21st century. We're, you know, astounded at the pictures of the landfill sites that we see, the, the, the byproduct of, of what uh, our, our human overconsumption has led to with the buildup of fossil fuels in the atmosphere. And, and to the point where we don't have to be a Christian to see that human beings have actually had a devastating impact on our environment, the sea, and everything in it. You know, God created us to fill the earth, to live in it, and make something of it. And part of that is what we do, right? We, we take the things that God, the raw materials that God has, has placed in the, on this earth, and, and we 
use them to make wonderful things like metal and glass and electricity and skyscrapers and gardens and paintings and bridges, art, culture, film, biochemistry, all of this wonderful stuff. But most of us realize that in the midst of this, in the midst of us trying to wear our crowns well, we fall way short. We make mistakes so often in the way that we try to relate to the world and exercise our power faithfully over it. And no amount of limiting our plastic or, or abstaining from buying new clothes or biking to work is going to change that, is it? You know, I, as a Christian, you know, I wrestle with these things, and I'm sure you probably do too. You know, what is our role in fighting against climate change? And I think a lot of us are tempted to just, you know, as we look around and see the, the sheer amount of, of waste and, and how far things have gone, to throw up our hands and to say, you know, why even bother? How could we even make a dent? How could we undo what has been done? You know, if you look at the language of the psalm, that's not how David responds. David speaks beyond creation and talks about God. The chorus, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, bookends this psalm, first and last, and frames the beauty, not just for what he's done, but for who God is. In fact, this is the only praise psalm that is directly addressed to God himself. And I think we have to take note of that. Follow the psalmist and praise the beauty of God's creation and let that reshape us. Because that leads us to our third point, his sacrifice. Because God, you know, looked down at creation and saw the way that we were mistreating and misusing it consuming for our own glory instead of ruling for his. But instead of looking down and saying, you know, oh, forget about it. I'm just going to wipe the slate clean. Start fresh. It's not what he did. You know, our God actually married himself to this world, to its brokenness, and committed himself to making it new. See, in the New Testament, many, many years after this psalm was written, the author of Hebrews actually brings it up again. But instead of talking about us as the kings and queens, he talks about the ultimate king, Jesus Christ, God's son, who was there in the beginning, who through him the world was created. And the author of Hebrews says this, it's not to angels that he subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there's a place where someone testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Does that sound familiar? The author of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 8 here, but he goes on says this, In putting everything under them, God left nothing 
that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who has made, was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus Christ has done what we were called to do. To rule creation faithfully. He became a human being, but not just any human being, the only truly human being who gave himself for what God has entrusted to him. Sacrificing himself for the world. See, he, he, Jesus married himself to, to our calling as human beings to rule creation as kings and queens. But he went down with the ship. He's the, the, he's the, the captain of the ship that, went, that stayed in the cockpit. Even though he knew the ship was going down. And he sacrificed himself to redeem us. To redeem our world. And death couldn't hold him. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And that's where this kingly, this kingly language comes from because Christ now rules over this world from heaven. And we await his coming again where he promises to make all things new. And so as Christians, we, we, we look to Jesus and we see the hope that, that, that one day this world will be, will be made new. That everything, that everything sad will come untrue. The pollution will be history. That, that, that it won't matter anymore. Everything will be, will be how God intended it to be. And we will play a part. We will still rule creation as we serve Christ. This is reflected in how we live now, isn't it? How a Christian is called to live in light of Jesus Christ. And, and one of the core values at First Hamilton is to be transformed in worship. That's something we've committed ourselves to. And it lends itself perfectly to what this praise psalm is talking about. And so I thought I'd put it on the screen for us this morning. Because well, we, when we commit to transformative worship, we commit to encountering the living king of creation. And are called to live according to his kingdom. Worship, says, is a public event in which God's people declare his reign and by which are transformed into a people who point to and demonstrate the good news of Scripture by our daily lives. This fits so well with caring for creation and ruling over creation because caring for creation isn't actually about using less plastic to save the earth. Caring for creation is actually about worship. And we've committed to being transformed in worship. Being captivated by the beauty of God who created a world in the beginning and committed himself to redeeming it through Jesus Christ. Because the truth is that a Christian doesn't, doesn't earn salvation and eternity with, with God through caring for creation well or even trying hard to, to rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the trees in the forest. We're saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. And this salvation changes us because it's beautiful. 
And this is how God's Spirit works in and through us. Because through worship, the Holy Spirit actually fills our hearts with joy. I saw this happen in a different way with one of my friends in university. And I think it fits quite well with this, this psalm. One of my friends in one of my last years started dating somebody. And we saw that he started to change. He started not hanging around our dorm as much. Uh, not hanging out with us as much. And disappearing for long walks. And stopped playing Xbox. And all these things that just made absolutely no sense to us. Until we realized what was actually going on. He was being changed by love. He saw something that was beautiful. And it began to renovate his heart. See, that's what God's perfect love and beauty does to us. It changes us. And it's all around us, and it's in us, and it fills us with a joy that can't fade away. So as we see the beauty of creation, I invite us to, to, to enter into the, the language of praise in our prayer. To see God as the, as the star-breathing God. The one who created a sun that is 960,000 earths. Yet he still cares for you. So much that he gave his only son for you. And he still cares for our world so much that he, d- he died to redeem it so that he could, he could reign over once again and bring, bring a new heavens and a new earth. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that loves us. This is a beautiful God. Like David in this psalm, this is what fills us with joy. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for creating us, creating our world, creating our universe, giving us, as your image bears, our responsibility, and committing yourself to redeeming us when we failed. Lord, would you help us, fill us with your Holy Spirit to see the beauty of your grace and mercy. Help us to respond by doing our part, what you've called us to do, caring for creation. Help us to see this as an act of worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.